0: Good evening and welcome to Tuesday Topics. This is Paul Edwards and co-hosting with me this evening is Brian Charlson. Hello, Brian.
1: Hey there, Paul. Good to be with you this evening and hello everybody out there.
0: And we thought we would spend a little time talking about what's going on with the coronavirus seven weeks in and changes that we may have noticed. So. I will give you a first go at it, Mr. Brian. What What have you noticed?
1: Well, among other things, I see a pretty dramatic increase in telephone calls that <laughs> I'm interested in making and telephone calls I'm interested in receiving. I think we've all gotten used to uh, talking caller ID and I'm a little less skeptical about picking up that phone when I don't recognize something. It may be a relative I haven't heard from for years, or it might be uh, somebody checking up on me. Uh, I know a a local church has been calling all the members of my community, uh, and I quite honestly enjoyed the chat with somebody other than the four people I've been living with nonstop. So that's one, I think, fairly significant change in my life is that connection by way of telephone. I think the other,
0: cha- the other change that I've noticed the most is, whereas at the beginning I think we blind people saw ourselves as having all kinds of advantages, the longer this has gone on, the more I've heard people who are blind getting uneasy. Um, if two blind people live together, there has been this real concern. So what happens if, if half of the couple gets COVID, uh, will it, will the other be allowed to be a caregiver or how disadvantaged will the caregiver be, um, based on what's going on with the virus? Um, I, I think there's a good deal more uneasiness than there was at the beginning, where we kind of thought this was this was going to go away, uh, I I live in a county where uh, even though they're talking about making some changes next week, um, I'm not expecting to be very much because there are still there are 14,000 COVID cases currently in Miami-Dade County, the the single county where I live. So it's a it's it's a it's a pretty large number of cases and it's a pretty substantive lockdown. And, and so I think there's perhaps more uncertainty about the virus than, than there has been. Anything else, Mr. Bryan? Well,
1: maybe, maybe a little bit more uncertainty about some things, but I think there's been enough time that lawmakers, et cetera, et cetera, have been out there taking a look at some of the non- if you will, first-level concerns, life and death concerns, and now dealing with quality of life concerns. So things such as um, our Attorney General here in the state of Massachusetts has gone public in a very strong way about the, the fact that the ADA and other laws protecting people with disabilities are not suspended under these circumstances they're still enforced and any complaint about such discrimination will be prosecuted to the extent of the law Uh, and that has been in our news multiple times up here in massachusetts so i think there's been enough time for the system to begin understanding that people with disabilities are an important group of course blind people are not the ones that are, if you will, the poster child when it comes to this kind of thing. It's those individuals who rely on personal care assistance of one form or another because those individuals that were providing them care may themselves be in need of care under these circumstances. And we've had people enter hospitals to see about being whether or not they were Infected, uh, who've had their personal respirators taken from them. So it's it's a it's a different time, but I do think that that there is some cause in that whole process to be a bit more upbeat than perhaps uh, we're feeling as a re- as a result of the general um, what would I call it? General fear, but it's kind of a a fear of isolation rather than a fear that in fact is going to walk in the front door necessarily. Statistically speaking, we're not talking a high probability rate that any one individual is going to come down with it. So if you stop and think about those and suspend your emotional reaction to it, uh, I think that, that, uh, That's about the only way that we can deal with this. I just finished writing and submitting my president's report uh, here in Massachusetts for the Bay State Council of the Blind's newsletter. And it was all about safety first, but it also was talking about maintaining your mental health as things uh, progress here. And we're doing a number of things in our affiliate. I think you are down in Florida, too, aren't you, Paul, in order to create that social connection that we might always be starving for?
0: We are. There are lots of community calls and recipe swaps. And, and uh, our president has done, ha- has done one thing that I really admired. She sent out a message that said if people were finding it hard to um, download books from Bard, since our library is closed, she would be happy to download several onto a thumb drive and send it to them, which I thought was really quite wonderful. But uh, oddly enough, she hasn't had a lot of takers. I think the one thing that I would add to your disability thing, and then I think we're going to pretty soon open it up and get some other people involved in our discussion, but there was a fairly long segment on the PBS NewsHour on Monday that had probably... Ten or twelve people with disabilities, a variety of them, a couple of blind folks, um, who who indicated that they perceived themselves to be definitely disadvantaged. That they that they weren't getting caregivers. They didn't feel as though if if they contacted folks, they were being they were being perceived as credible. They felt like. Uh, they felt like nobody understood. For instance, the fact that a blind people may have to a blind person may have to hold somebody's arm, and and a range of areas where there th- there was a degree of discomfort that was in this segment that that I really hadn't expected because it it's not one that's operated w- within ACB at all. Mr. Rick. Okay, we've got Chris Bell. Ah, from North Carolina, Mr. Chris.
2: Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening, Chris. Sarah. How are you doing? I'm good. You know, I think that I am, you know, I, I'm just a person, uh, one single person, so my experience is obviously not generalizable. But I, I have found, as time has gone on, that this pandemic has been easier to deal with emotionally because you know my life has gotten more routinized just <laughs> um i'm not you know the expectations i had about going out to the gym or going to a restaurant i've i've set those aside and and they don't even come up in my head anymore and uh the the people that i have relied on to uh, joe, give joe and i help are still there so really for me uh things are are easier now emotionally than they were and I'm not one who tends to say, well, what if this happens or what if that happens? Because um, you know, that only leads to fear and anxiety and isn't a reflection of reality. It's a f- reflection of our uh, uh, fears. So I don't go there.
0: I, I've had days where, where where I've actually been, I think, pretty depressed um, and where I haven't gotten a lot accomplished And I've really had to, every couple of days, hit myself over the head and say, all right, stop it. Now you're going to do, and I'll make a list of maybe seven or eight things that I want to get accomplished in a particular day. Um, And that seems to kind of snap me out of it. Um, But uh, I've been surprised because I didn't think I'd find it hard, but I, I have been a little depressed, you know, kind of being on my own and, in a pretty big house. Well, I guess, yeah,
2: right, when I don't get something done, uh, it doesn't bother me. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>, well. <laughs> Tomorrow's a different day.
1: I've it always is. been a, a, a much more structured person to begin with. My uh, Echo devices. What's on my schedule today?
3: Okay. Here's an remote smart remote. Oh. You don't have a button. Echo, a
1: shut button up. Button Okay. Anyway, I have reminders that tick off the activities that I want to do on the course of every workday versus every weekend so that I remind myself as days drift on and it's hard to tell weekend from weekday. Uh, I also put in there uh, wake-up calls and go-to-bed calls as well because I read out there that it's much better for your mental health to keep yourself on the schedule in one form or another. But I try to lighten it up so it's, you know, it's Brian's bedtime, she'll announce, that kind of thing, to try to make it less formal and a little more entertaining as we go along.
0: And that's the other thing that's happened with me is my, my sleep patterns are just absolutely out, out the window. You know, there'll be times when I'll be up three days in a row and there will be, and there'll be times when I'll sort of oh, almost all day. It's, it's not pretty. <laughs> Who's next, Rick? Debbie Grubb. Oh, there she is.
4: Brian, it is so good to hear your voice. I am, I am so glad that you're on this call, and I would have been glad no matter what the subject matter. I just want to tell you that. And I want to say that I'm kind of goal-oriented. And so I keep busy and thank God for technology. I just thank God for my iPhone and my Alexa and all these things. But the comment I want to make is, and Brian, you're probably a lot like this. I'm pretty active. One of the reasons I got a guide dog was I want to go where I want to go when I want to go. And when Uber came into our lives, it was the next best thing to having my own set of keys. And I very much miss my autonomy of movement. And I don't feel that I'm any worse off than anybody else. We're all in this together. But I do very much miss the ability to go where I want, whenever I want, without asking anybody's by your leave. It is so important to me. And I bring that up because I'd like for you guys to talk about as this country begins to open and the nature of blindness, the need to touch, the need to have tactile awareness of things and all of that. I'm curious to know how you think this new world of social distancing will affect us. And um, I'm hearing some pretty scary stuff about what life's going to be when you have to go to the airport again. So I know a lot of this is supposition, but I think it's something that we need to begin to think about. So I'd really like to hear what you think about how this is going to change our autonomy movement, our ease to communicate and to get where we need to go and that sort of thing. Thank
1: you. You men, Brian? Oh, I'll, I'll start the lead here. One is there's no doubt that one of the reasons that this is so poignant for people who are blind and, and uh, visually impaired is we... Kind of know how much better things have been getting in the past decade in terms of public transportation and alternate transportation methods like uber and lyft etc we probably appreciate that more as a class than most other subgroups of the citizenry so when it's taken away from us we i think feel it more acutely and it is going to take a while before I get to that point, I think the, the head of uh, Uber today announced the layoff of thir- was it 13,000 customer service people. So anyway, a huge number. Uh, so that's not going to be able to be rebuilt in a day as uh, the tethers come off and we start to get mobile again. So it's going to take us probably uh, more than a year before the system recoups from that kind of sudden downsizing, making the new hires and all that kind of stuff. You can expect that much of the training that we've advocated that they do for drivers, etc., are going to have to be redone. It won't be the same drivers, and those drivers will feel that they have the, the right as a driver to restrict some of the things that we've uh, expected as a reasonable accommodation to our riding in their vehicle. We'll, we'll see how that goes. That's going to take some really big time doing. I think it also means, though, that there's going to be more uh, responsibility on our part to come across as social, meaning we're going to have to be, if anything, a little bit more verbal and congenial. congenial in order to establish that, that we aren't a thing being transported, but a person being transported. Uh, I think we're going to have to take a real, real hard try at doing that. Go ahead, Paul.
0: I think, I think there, are, there are two other components to, to Debbie's question. One is I don't think our economy will come back uh, so that we're going to end up having crowds like we used to have for a very long time. And that will actually perhaps make it easier for us as blind people to get where we want to go and to get what we want done. Because I think there's going to be more ability on our part to negotiate uh, with places that we want to go uh, in order to ask for a particular assistance even before we leave our house. Uh, and And I think there will be a lot of places that will actually be much more comfortable providing us with the assistance uh, that we want than they might've been before. Because I think there's been a a general recognition that the way that we're going to do business in the future is going to have to, I think, be much more one-on-one person to business kind of relationship. I think the other thing that, that Debbie raised this whole question of blind people 's tactile proclivities is a, is a really is a really good point to make i 'm not worried about it I, I think we 're going to have to get into some new habits. I think virtually all of us will wander around with hand sanitizer. I think most of us will wander around with wipes because I think we 'll recognize that we probably have a need to be more careful. I think we 're going to be more likely to wear masks because uh, we know that, uh, that if we don't wear masks, we're probably more likely than others to touch our faces. So, so I think we're going to be better uh, rule abiders than perhaps the rest of the population, but I think we're going to have to be more conscious of the need to be careful because of the degree to which we are never going to change the fact that we will remain tactile. If, if we do that, we forego a good deal of our independence and, and, and our sense of knowing where we are and what we're doing.
1: Well, there's other things going on as kind of a subtext here also. Debbie, you're rightfully said you enjoy being a guide dog user and you go out there. One of the things my sighted sister has been telling me with great deal of disgust is the number of discarded masks and gloves on public sidewalks. People are coming out of places of business and discarding these items. Now that is disgusting. Have a dog walking down the street and you know they're they're curious and they can pick up these things thinking maybe it's munchable. So You want to, as a guide dog handler, I think, be prepared to check out what Fido's up to by having uh, disposable gloves of your own in your pocket to be able to do that kind of thing. It's just one little thing among many, probably hundreds of things that we will be changing as, as blind members of our society, and there's a number of things that others are going to have to change as non-disabled people in our society we have mr. seven rick. more hands up so i bet you we Miss, need some more mr rick questions.
0: yes uh, phone number nine
5: five seven two hi it's gene man hi, hi how
1: are you doing
5: i'm doing York. well how are you doing you're doing i can tell you're both doing reasonably okay
1: we are doing <laughs> reasonably well <laughs>
5: yeah. so um the more i listen the more thoughts i have i first i have to say i'm like chris what gets done has to get done today does. If other things don't get done today, they'll get done tomorrow or the next day. Um, when all this started, I was actually quite angry that I was being told I couldn't do this and I couldn't do that. I don't like being told what to do, as those of you who know me probably know. Um, and I do push the boundaries just a little. Um, I, I am in a situation where um, it's an independent senior housing and part of our monthly fee includes meal plans, so I never go hungry. Um, I find myself eating way more than I should because that's, I just am. And, um, <laughs> yes, and um, if, if, you know, I really need some kind of assistance, um, there are people here who are supposed to provide it. I really haven't asked for much. I do have a couple friends who have been really good about picking things up from the store for me when they're going to the store. You know, it's one of those, if you go to the store and you happen to see, would you please? And um, they also about eh, once a week, maybe twice some weeks, will come get me and we'll go someplace and maybe get some takeout and, and go back to their house or come back here. Um, there are people that I know live by themselves and are not seeing a lot of other people either. So um, I don't worry about it. Um,
0: so so, I, do, you, do, you think, do you think you do better? um living in 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 a senior facility like the one you live in than you would have done had you lived in a, an apartment
5: yeah i think i do um because like i said if there is a need that i can't handle myself there are people um here who uh you know are supposed to be here you know help me um we have a, a skeleton staff um here right now most of the people have been furloughed but we do have a skeleton staff and um I did need a couple of things one time, and, and one of them said, well, I will go get them for you. Um, they always help with mail and writing checks, things like that. Um, now, if they come up to my apartment, they come in with a mask and a gown and the whole works. Um, if I leave here, I'm supposed to wear a mask. I don't always, like if I go down to get mail or something, I try to go when there's not going to be a lot of people around. There's not a pe- lot of people around anyway because they're staying in their apartments pretty much. But, yeah, I think I am better off here. Because there's
0: always cool. somebody, if I need something, I can find Thank somebody you. to help me out. But Thank you, Miss Jean. Okay. Who's next, Rick? Uh, we've got Kathy Blackburn next. Kathy from Texas. Hey, Kathy.
6: Hi. Um, the comment that was made sometime back about um, if you had to go to a doctor's office or somewhere and needed Guided. I've actually experienced going to visit someone in a hospital and the auxiliary person wanted me to ride in a wheelchair instead of me taking their elbow. They said they didn't, that they weren't allowed to be touched by people. And I found that completely outrageous. And fortunately, somebody else came along with some common sense and helped me. But we might – I can see we might – are. That
0: that's an interesting one. Um, in in this environment, Brian, in a in in the COVID nineteen environment, how how would you respond? How would you have responded um, if you were asked by a hospital person to ride in a wheelchair because th- they didn't want you touching them?
1: Well, because of my secondary issue as of late, that is my vertigo, I have had to learn to accept uh, wheelchair rides in airports, specifically. And I will tell you two things are true. One is I've received better assistance in that fashion than I ever did when I asked for sighted guide assistance to my gate. It's amazing the difference in the experience. I would not have believed it uh, before, but... I absolutely do now that I've done it a dozen or more times. Secondly, I'm as concerned about communicating what I might be carrying to a healthcare provider as the other way around, probably more so because I'm putting at risk somebody who is desperately needed out there in the system. So I'd probably sit in that chair and say, the next time we get together, we'll have to do it over a drink and I'll sit on a stool so just to lighten it up and remind them that they're not pushing a bag of meat they're they're pushing a person
0: and and i and i might also say something like you know normally i wouldn't be riding in a wheelchair but 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 i understand that these are really unusual times so uh, so i will this time and not fuss
1: exactly I, I, yeah, and normally so I, I would fuss i have to be clear normally yes. I would fuss. It's the same thing as having somebody talk really loud to you because as a blind person, of course, you can't hear very well either. So it's, not so, it's not so much that I think that it's insulting to be in a chair, but it is promoting a a helpless stereotype. It, That's and, not what this and, is about.
0: Yeah, and, and an image of blind people that, that we don't try to encourage. Exactly. Yep. Rick? Uh, we've got quiet water. Deanna.
7: Two of my very favorite ACB gentlemen. Thank it's delightful you. to hear your, your voices. Um, I am a little bit on your team, Paul, in that normally I'm a very upbeat person. And I can always find a million things to get done and do them Um but I find myself some days just struggling to yes. maintain that positivity.
1: Yep. I, I not absolutely Not that I'm
7: afraid of dying or any of that, because it's not part of my culture. But um, it's the responsibility of being a caregiver.
2: Yep, yep. And it's
7: a, yeah, and that's it's exhausting some days.
0: It is. It is exhausting. Uh, and Deanna, try to be here next week because that our whole show next week is going to be about blind people as caregivers.
7: Yep. So, so that's part of it, and frustrations with technology. I had my desktop, my um. My laptop and my Victor Stream all die in the month of March. <laughs> oh,
1: no. Doesn't <laughs> that ha- always happen?
7: One after the other. <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> fortunately, I found a local guy that, that is a real sweetheart. He's in a wheelchair and he drives himself around. So we have this deal. He comes and pulls into my driveway. And honks. I put the thing out on the bookshelf that I have by my front door for packages and and mail that won't fit in the mailbox. And then I go inside, and he comes and takes it and cleans it before he takes it into his place. And he does the repair work. And then we reverse it. (laughs) And he takes my credit card over the phone. So I've got a a techie angel here that, that helps get things going. Even kept my Victor stream working for a, a two extra weeks
1: while I ordered a new one
7: because the Excellent. the charging port went wonky. Yeah, <laughs>
1: that's uh, that's what's gone on mine as well over the years. The number of have always been the charging port that goes. Uh, I yeah. agree. I I uh, about the the uh, depression. I yeah. think I think that depression under any kind of super stress is probably well how how do i know because i've been blind almost all of my life but (laughs) it strikes me that that um looking out your being able to look out your window as a sighted person Mm -hmm. and see nature doing its thing can be quite uplifting in fact uh, today i went to uh the grocery store with my sister, I have to stay in the van while she goes in and does what emergency shopping we need because I'm a type 2 diabetic and so I'm considered at greater risk. But I need to get out and breathe real air and things like that.
7: Well, that's and I where have. I have the advantage. I can still work with my guide dog. My vertigo is, is under control as long as I keep physically fit. And that's another problem because <laughs> it's, it's harder to get exercise. So thank goodness for Leslie. And for that um, gal in Georgia yeah. on Saturdays who makes us dance and jump around and do all kinds of things. And so that helps um, because when I feel myself getting really, really tired, it's because I'm not, I'm not moving enough and not keeping my, um, you know, the yoga. All of that helps with my balance, and yep. is like I can keep my stamina and my core muscles up, I can compensate for the days when it feels like the floor is swaying under my feet and I'm out in in heavy seas. <laughs> yes, <laughs> or, yes, really. <laughs> or had my two heart glasses of wine. Or had two glasses of wine on an empty stomach. <laughs> <laughs>
0: exactly, exactly. Very similar. <laughs> Thank you, Miss Deanna. Um, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Here, oh, I
7: was here, just gonna say one more thing. Um Yes. The the, the funny thing is I have to take my husband to physical therapy because if he doesn't get physical therapy, he's not going to be able to continue to make his transfers. Yep. Um, so um, when I went the first time, I wore gloves, I wore a mask, and they, I pushed him inside, and then they asked me to leave. Well, I have a flaky guide dog who does not identify my car. So I wandered around the parking lot for about 10 minutes, looking at cars until I found mine. (laughs) (laughs) And then, um, you know, so, um, but the other day I had uh, to use the restroom badly. So I have my my hand sanitizer and I have my little mask and I go and... um, walk in and I explain I need the restroom. So the woman comes around the desk, the same woman that threw me out before, grabs me and starts to tow me to the bathroom. I'm going, no, it's fine, just give me directions. I'm okay. And then she waited for me until I was finished and I was coming out. And she again wanted to grab me and leave me. I'm going, no, I know how to get out of here. Thank you. And I hopped my dog up and sped out of the building. So I wouldn't be molested by this nurse who was so afraid I might breathe on somebody when I
4: went in the first time
7: or whatever with my mask and everything. So I don't know. It's going to be kind of schizoid. I guess it depends upon whether they think you look like you need help or not. (laughs) I
0: I think this is true.
1: Thank you, have Much less face showing for them to be able to read our expression. Are we confused? Or are we just peaceful and waiting for somebody else to join us?
0: Well, it it doesn't matter. We are seen and never heard, Brian.
1: Well, Um. I have a much more expressive face then, I guess. Okay, onward, Rick. I
0: suppose you do, Rick.
1: Next up, Michael Byington.
8: Michael. Hello, everyone. It's good to hear both of your voices.
1: And And Boy, is that a Michael voice. Absolutely. Good to hear you, my friend.
8: Well, thank you. That's the one I've always had. Um, (laughs) Nice of you to come, Mark. (laughs) I think the thing that that, uh, occurs to me that we may be underselling is the impact on the next generation of people who are blind and visually impaired. And I have a little bit of insight on that because uh, I am currently still in a semi-retired capacity, teaching some orientation and mobility to school kids. And there has been a whole uh, great surge of folks on the internet telling all of us, both blind, legally blind, and sighted, uh, how we can hopefully teach some orientation and mobility using Zoom and other remote methods, and that's uh, quite an adjustment. What I have found is that for about half of my students, I have had to become much more creative, and it's going to perhaps be to their benefits. For example, for one of my very bright young ladies, uh, who is in the fifth grade, going to be going into middle school next year, I have created a virtual time machine, and the time machine sends her notes about what point in her life she is at, what problems she is facing, and how she must work to solve that problem. And then we get on the phone once a week, and we talk about what solutions she has come up with. I think for her, this is possibly as useful as my taking her out into the community and going over again the finer points of hurricane use, etc. So I think for some kiddos, this is actually going to be great, perhaps the super achievers among the blind children. But I would say for about half of the students that I am working with, particularly those who have other comorbidities as well as blindness, there simply is not a way that I can impact what they need to try to be as independent as they can uh, by teaching O&M online. And I know that some of the teacher, the visually impaired friends that I have are experiencing the same thing. Uh, So I, I guess my reaction to what people are talking about is, I think in looking at the impact that blindness is going to, or that COVID-19 is going to have on blindness and low vision, it's important to look at the entire population. What's it going to do not only for the blind senior or for the blind person who is in the uh, working years of their life, but also the people who are trying to uh, skirt a mainstreamed environment, or those who are accustomed to a residential school environment, which they now cannot attend, and they may be very, very sequestered in their homes because of COVID-19.
0: So, Michael, one of the claims that, that are being made by educators is that the longer that kids are out of school and trying to learn in a home environment, Uh, the further behind they're likely to fall and uh, a greater the degree of lost skills that will operate. Uh, Are you finding that that that's operating with a lot of your blind and visually impaired kids who you're trying to teach? I don't think that we know that yet.
8: And I really don't think that I can see it yet one way or the other with regard to orientation and Mobility, which is what I do. I, I tell, uh, I remind my TVI friends quite often that uh, they have the classroom and all the academic skills which are so important. I have the rest of the world to uh, work with, <laughs> with with the there students. There is that. And Mr. I, I, I Mr. Just don't, yeah, okay. go ahead, Michael. I just don't think that there is a way at this point uh, that we can say that the norms of kids getting further and further behind are going to affect blind and low vision students in the same way. But what I suspect is that it's going to be, again, all over the map. There are going to be students who are actually going to do better in this situation because they have to become more creative. They have to become better problem solvers. But for every one of those, there's probably two or three who are going to not do well at all and are going to lose a great deal of ground?
1: Mm-hmm. The, Brian, freight, you have the a question in my mind is Necessity is the mother of invention, right? Because we need to find a way to work under these circumstances, we're going to be significantly more creative in coming up with ways to pull it off, like you are doing, Michael, with, with your. Uh, texting back and forth and and that kind of thing, causing people who are your students to have to think their way through problems. Because, you know, it's one thing being capable of using that cane to get from point A to point B and to memorize how many turns and those kinds of things. It's another thing entirely to be put into a new environment and be able to work out a plan to make it through it anyway, even though you've never been there. Before or under those circumstances before. I know when I was down uh, last at CNI, they were working with walkie-talkies because the trainers were looking to see whether or not their proximity to the student learning to use a new uh, service animal was distracting the dog. So they would put on your chest by a, a kind of a little harness of your own, a walkie-talkie, and they'd talk to you and say things like, uh, coming up is uh, WP, that's that I talk for a wobbly person or a person you don't want to bump against because you might knock them down. So there would be that kind of communication. And I can see that working for an O&M instructor with a student because you could keep that six feet of separation and still communicate uh, without distracting. So that's an invention that comes from necessity. Zoom, the thing we're using here right this moment, is something that some high-techy kind of folks were playing around with, but now it's almost become an everyday tool. Think of all those kids who knew the future was going to be a significant amount of online learning who now are being forced to swim at the deep end of this pool uh, and learn how to do that effectively. I think one of the things that's going to happen through this is we might see some typing skills improve because – there's going to be a lot more communication by keyboard than there has been as of late.
0: Annalie Rose. Yes. Hello. Another teacher.
6: Hi, Annalie. (laughs) Hey, Paul. How are you? I am well. And how are you, Brian?
1: We're doing terrific up here in Massachusetts, except we had snow on May 9th.
6: (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing this time of the year. (laughs) But anyway, what, there's A couple of things. I um, wanted to bring up my, I have to boast, my two sons who live close by, but not nearby, uh, took me out to dinner Saturday night for Mother's Day, and we nice. went to Outback, nice. and the menus were paper, printed paper menus, and... I said to my son, "I said, do I dare ask for a Braille menu? Because there's touching involved, <laughs> and, and I'm sure they don't have disposable Braille menus. The, the menu was very limit. Well, I shouldn't say very. It was limited. Um, it was just one sheet of paper, uh, uh, eight and a half by eleven, with writing on both sides. Um, but I'm I'm thinking, how is that going
1: to affect?" those who read braille menus. Kim and I were discussing that this very morning because we have a braille embosser in our home and we've brailed more than our fair share of menus over the years. I don't see any way that we're ever going to convince restaurants that the most effective way for us to access a menu is throw away braille. That's a mass production kind of thing, yeah. like the magazines that we read, right? We're not returning them or storing them on the shelf. It, I used to do that. I don't anymore. I've, I've, I've got past my hoarding experience. So, <laughs> but nonetheless, it is, you know, it's one of those 101 ways things are going to have to be a bit different, especially as we transition mm-hmm. to a, um, the new normal, whatever that might end up looking like.
6: Yeah, and not everyone has a smartphone with a restaurant app on it, and I don't know how accessible they are. Um,
1: and exactly.
6: You were also talking about the, the teachers and the kids. Well, I'm a rehab teacher, and, and my, my main uh, area is teaching Braille, and that being interesting be I have two three clients who who I have been working with over the phone and I was thinking well if Hadley can do braille by mail why not uh, why not us? Um, the the Braille assignments uh my and my director of my agency New Vision for Independence in Leesburg Florida she is awesome. She and, and, and another staff member, they are going to the office and picking up things and delivering them to clients to work with. I, I also teach a uh, introductory ILS class and, and they, they use writing aids and uh, the, the writing guides and, and we have a, a money identification section and um so they deliver all these things to the clients ahead of time but uh and the the braille um i got them to get some pre-addressed envelopes and braille paper to the the clients or we mail them in a in another envelope and tell my clients to to mail the the papers their homework their writing assignment back to me so i can check what they're writing and that's been working out, but teaching techniques over the phone, not everybody has access to Zoom and can use Zoom uh, to to work with skills. I know our, our instructor with the kids has done an amazing job with using Zoom. She's delivered, uh, um, what's the word I want to use, uh, items for classes to the the kids, and fortunately, the parents have the Zoom capability, and she can can zoom in with the kids, and the parents are there uh, assisting and and using holding I guess the camera, and she's she's had classes with the kids through Zoom. Um, we, we actually
0: go beyond braille menus, you know, guys. We really go to braille materials,
6: period.
0: Uh, is the pandemic going to have an impact on the willingness of blind people to use paper braille?
1: Period. I, I, I really question whether that will extend to that point because it's pretty clear by what the scientists are saying about the transmittal of the virus, that it cannot survive on paper for more than 24 hours.
0: Yeah, a day or and two. And the
1: whole, the whole process of, of moving through the postal service to get it and from the per- person who last had it and those kinds of things, just time would disinfect it. The
0: other but, so, thing one, is... Go ahead. One of the things we may need to do then is to suggest to restaurants some ways that they can handle braille menus. They they aren't high demand items, but those places who have them, um, uh, we praise and we're happy to see them there. So maybe we should say, can, can we, can, can you get two or three copies and, and use one for two days, and then another for two days, and, and you know, um, kind of uh, take turns again. A- and I, I think, think that would work. But we, right, but, but I, I think we have to talk to restaurants about this kind of thing before they simply decide to throw them all out.
1: I think one of the ways that we could deal with this is literally like you do in old-fashioned libraries, where you have the checkout. History as a page tucked into it. There'd be a check out history that the server would indicate with a date when that copy was last used. You demand, Brian, and then that's the simplest way to solve. You know, it's always the kiss method, right? Keep it simple, stupid. Mm It's got to be a simple way to do it, or it's not going to be done well.
0: Yeah, my my fear is. My fear is that, that restaurants are simply going to decide they can't use them anymore, anymore and throw them out. And, and and that's what I hope we can prevent.
1: One of the things that uh, those entities that braille menus should be doing is sending out a reminder that when they reopen that they will get new fresh copies of their menu from the previous producer. This is a goodwill gesture, you understand. And that we would be including in that republishing of their menu, a a checkout date sheet so that, uh, again, the biggest cost of Braille menus is not copy two. It's copy number one. Of course it is. Creating the original. So, uh, you know, it might be one of those things that we as the blindness community might promote as a concept. Anyway, I, I find that an in- interesting approach. How do we solve some of these problems that we see, <laughs> you know, rearing their head over the horizon? Thank you for your comments. This, is, this has been a great Thanks, Annalie.
0: Um,
1: who's next, Mr.
0: Rick? Next we have Sharon. Yes,
9: I'm delighted. Uh, thank you, Brian, and uh, good to meet you both are the ACB hero. Uh, Thank you so much for such encouragement and inspiration for all of us who is blind. Um, Fortunately, I am totally blind and I have not been driving for 27 years, but I see myself improving because of a coronaviruses because I never dreamed that I will be hosting the free conference call. I never dreaming I would be doing a Zoom conference with you all. Uh, you probably say, "Where is she come from? Um, I'm one of the very fortunate person around with the many good Christian friends. But um, I was uh, hosting already um, three of our Moms in Prayer um, conference uh, already in person at my mm-hmm. home and at the churches but then when everything got locked down in Oklahoma I had to pray that there will be a better way that we could keep up with this and I thank God the free conference call coming into play and I've been had to be the one teaching all the sighted people how to use free conference call I never dreamed my wildest dream and then I'm um, also i have to encourage them to come on the conference call you know even sighted people they could not go out to the uh, norm this is um, abnormal things to use the free conference call so everybody need to be reminded to get on before the hours because eight o'clock Thursday morning is a conference call, but you know how many people try to get on the conference call on eight o'clock sharp. Everybody is, so <laughs> I have to encourage them. I have to text them ahead of time, and I knew how to do one touch uh, phone call. Of course, with the, all the commas, because each commas was half second pause, and right. I have to teach them all the the sighted people, <laughs> and uh, in. in Also, some of the people are pretty depressed. The sighted people are depressed. So, in a process of trying to call them up personally to encourage them to come to the conference call and also praying with them, I realized I add value to their life because they needed that personal touch. And also.
0: Thank you so much for what you're doing for everybody. That's really excellent. I'm very Again, proud another, of you.
1: A real learning opportunity here. Again, necessity becomes the mother of invention. And that doesn't just apply to blind people. It applies, applies to all of us in all of our daily activities. It's amazing how many churches have stepped forward. And instead of holding face-to-face services, are doing those services uh, through something like Zoom. Uh, or maybe, uh, what do they call it, open broadcast service, an OBS application. doesn't take a lot of technology or, quite honestly, a lot of technology skill to, as a a group that desires to make connection happen, to facilitate that. The
0: good news for me is I, I so far haven't turned on my video.
1: You haven't done that yet, have you? I have not. You understand that uh, 60% of communication is nonverbal. So as long as you're communicating with other people who are non-visual, then that works fine. Yeah. If you're working with people with vision, it dramatically improves their communication if they yep. have the comfort of seeing you on camera Yeah. or on screen. yep. So who else do we have, Rick? Miss Sharon. Thank you. Mr. Rick. Yeah, we have Betsy.
3: Betsy. Good evening, gentlemen. It's Betsy in Georgia. And if you can hear me over the parakeets, they like your all's voices, so they keep chirping in the background.
1: Well, that puts a smile on my face.
3: (laughs) Um, I have three things that have really helped me through this time period. I haven't been able to work for several years, so I'm very goal-oriented, so I keep my goals each day. Sort of sort of like Chris, because if they don't get done, then I'll move on to the next day. But I have goals and I read several books, several parts of books. I have different links I'll set for myself to read. But two of the big things that have helped me a lot is the WhatsApp group from my blind school, because we talk. There's probably 60, 70 messages a day that come out on that list, and you're hearing them verbally, so it's like you're right there with them. It's like we're back at school again. And then the second, the third thing that helps a lot is a a chat site. I go on twice a day, and I'm talking to those people. And that was a normal routine before the pandemic. So those have helped me a lot. And then. For transportation, of course, I have three of the kids within one of my I live with and the other two are within 10 minutes. So if I needed something urgently, I could always get it that way. But communication with other people has been my key, the WhatsApp group and the chat site. Excellent.
0: WhatsApp Excellent. Has, has actually been used by a lot of blind people. Um, and and there are a lot more WhatsApp groups out there for blind people than we really know about. Somebody down the road uh, should, should probably try to, to do an article or something on some of the WhatsApp groups that are out there.
1: I agree. I agree. You know, one of the things that is interesting, interesting—it just started talking about it in the last couple of days in the media is something called bubble groups. It At this point, you've probably been talking to and face-to-face engaging in just the closest of family members um, staying quarantined. But as the, this all kind of lifts rather than simply saying all right switch was off now switch is on I can go out and do everything with everybody and anybody instead you take an incremental approach and you say all right I'm going to make arrangements with the family next door that we will expand our social exposure between these two families and these two families only we make a pledge not to go outside that group and they make a pledge not to go outside the group and then you've doubled the number of people you're interacting with and when you can do that it does help the mental health quite a bit so they're called bubbles social bubbles and i think that we're going to see that in the same way we don't see businesses just suddenly open up the day after the uh, pandemic is deemed safe but rather incrementally
0: excellent So, Mr. Bryan, uh, final comment. We are approaching the end here.
1: Uh Uh-oh. Final comment is, um, don't forget, everybody, that you have lots of different, if you will, virtual families out there, one of which is your ACB family. Uh, We had a hangout with the Bay State Council the other day, and we come with a couple of topics to start it out with, but more than 50% of the Hangout is kind of open mic, tell us what's going on with you. And we had one person who couldn't participate because he had the cheapest of phone arrangements and the call to the Zoom was a long distance call, so we couldn't make it. So one of the participants did a two-way regular phone connection And then linked him in, and he was able to participate. And we found, much to our chagrin, that he had uh, had empty cupboards for two days. And we made arrangements through our family that is, the BSCB family and connections to solve that problem for him by being in contact with a, a sighted family member who got him his first bunch of groceries, but then that was followed up on by setting him up with, uh, he says he hates meals on wheels, so we didn't impose that on him. We arranged for another kind of uh, food sharing system to help him out. So we take care of our own.
0: I guess what I would say, uh, as, as my final comment on this topic, is this evening has demonstrated to me that First, people who are blind are immensely resilient. Second, people who are blind are, are thoughtful and very capable of looking ahead. And third, that those of us who are blind and are weathering the pandemic are doing it in a very interesting and exciting uh, way. And, and really looking ahead towards what's going to be a very different kind of world when we get out of this. Next week on Tuesday Topics, we're going to be talking about blind people as caregivers and our guest is going to be Ms. Conrad, who is a patient advocate and a member of the ACB board of directors. Ladies and gentlemen, thank
2: you for being with us on Tuesday Topics and good night.